Hello and welcome to the Bridge Community Church Listen Again podcast. We are so glad you are listening. Our prayer is that what you are about to hear encourages you and builds your faith. This idea of does God love me? There's something within all of us where we just long to know that we are loved and we come from a variety of angles or dispositions or ways of trying to understand that. And uh, Andy Malcolm, who uh, led us last week, he got very spiritual and relived one of the great Sunday school songs there. And uh, unfortunately, I'm not quite as spiritual as him, I've got to be honest, because when I was thinking about this series, Whitney Houston came to mind, uh, the 1980s pop star. Uh, She said this, Well, she sang this, don't worry, I won't sing it. It was, how will I know he really loves me? Do you remember that song? Oh, one or two two shoulders going there, yeah. How will I know? No, we won't go there. Anyway, she asked that question, how will I really know that he really loves me? You know, is it in the look? Is it in the touch? Is it in the financial giving of the gifts? What is it? What is it that means I know I'm really loved? And to carry on the... uh, pop diva progress here. Let's turn to Beyonce Knowles as she says, oh, there's another loud cheer over here. We've got the whole section there of pop music there. Um, She says, if you like it, put a ring on it. Yeah, remember that song? If you like it, put a ring on it. Yes. So the ultimate expression for Beyonce is not so much the look, not so much the gifts. It's the covenant commitment. That's how I'll know you really love me. And I'm going to tell you some great news today. God has made a covenant commitment to you and me. That's how you know God can love you. He's created this agreement that's going to last for all eternity. And we're going to explore that a little bit this morning so that we can really know we are loved. Three things we're going to look at in particular just to help us understand and grasp how loved we are by God's covenantal love. We're going to see the sacrifice. We're going to see the ongoing sustenance that he provides. And thirdly, what he's separated from in order to show us how much he loves us. And we're going to turn to a letter in the New Testament in the second part of the Bible, the letter of Ephesians. So if you've got your Bible, please feel free to turn to Ephesians chapter 5 or just follow along with the PowerPoints as the verses will come up. And uh, we're going to explore this idea of this covenant love. Ephesus was located today in modern-day Turkey, and it was an incredibly significant city back in the first century. And uh, the Apostle Paul was involved there, and he writes to them after establishing the church there in Ephesus. And he writes to them in two different sections of this letter to Ephesus, chapters 1 to 3. It says, do you know what? As a follower of Jesus, you're incredibly rich. You have so much And then in chapters 4 to 6, he says, in view of these riches, I want you to fulfill some responsibilities. So it's the riches become the responsibilities. The privilege then becomes the activity that we have to follow. The belief leads to behavior, if you like. And it's in this second section that we're going to focus particularly around this idea of covenantal love agreement. As the Apostle Paul calls on this church, he's going, hey, I want you, as followers of Jesus, to live a life worthy of Jesus. 
And there's a problem with that, isn't there? There's only one person who's ever lived a life worthy of Jesus, and that's Jesus himself. The rest of us, we fall, we fail, we get things wrong. And so in chapter 5, Paul calls upon, he says, look, submit, surrender to each other and the Holy Spirit. This combination, as we partner with the Holy Spirit, as we partner with each other, we can start to see this worthy life of Jesus emerging from us. And he gets very practical. He talks about families and work situations. And in particular, in the verses we're going to look at, the responsibilities of a husband to a wife as part of that love covenantal agreement called marriage. And that picture of Jesus and his bride, the church. So that's what we're going to unpack in the next few minutes. Let's get stuck into these verses then. Ephesians 5, 25 to 26. As we, before we get in there, I want to ask you a question. What was the last sacrifice you made for a person you love? What was the last sacrifice you made for a person you love? Well, it seems to be a little bit of uncomfortable twitching going on out there in the congregation today. You know, has it been a while? Uh, a little bit of whispering going on amongst the married couples out there. That's great. Got to be honest, I've done pretty good on this week on this. Many of you know my mum was 90 this week. And I was the dutiful son, six-hour train journey up to Liverpool, six-hour train journey back. And my mum round about eight o'clock said, yeah, it's been nice, but go back now. You know, it's a classic 90-year-old response there to all that effort. But got the chocolates, got the flowers, went out for dinner. Hey, sacrifice. Okay, the chocolates, not much of a sacrifice because I ate most of them, but there we go. But yeah, you know, we showed that. And again, when I came back, uh, showed some love to my boys, sacrificial love. My youngest lad, he said, oh, glad you're back, back Dad. Can you fix me bike because I want to go out with my mates? There we go. So, I had to, you know, that was my warm welcome home after being away up in Liverpool and then helping my other lad with his applications for university, this kind of thing. You know, we make sacrifices, don't we? And even as I'm talking right now, I realize I owe Kerry, my wife, quite a lot. She seems to have focused on my mum and my kids so far. So this week could be a bit of a sacrificial week to focus on Kerry. But it's important, isn't it? We sacrifice ourselves to show our love for other people. And the exciting thing is, this is what God's done for us. Listen to verses 25, 26. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make a holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. So the Apostle Paul's saying, hey, you know you're loved because of the sacrifice of Jesus. That last song we just sang, the rich led us in, just epitomizes the death and the sacrifice of Jesus on that first Easter. He loves us so much, he was gonna give his life, not just the occasional birthday present, the occasional card, the occasional gift here or there. He gave his life utterly and completely to show how much he loves you and me. You might say, David, that seems really drastic, really excessive. Why, why would he do that? Well, we see there in verse 26, because he wants to make us, his church, holy and clean us up by the washing of water through the word. He wants to do a purification process. This is the wonderful thing about Jesus. He loves us, but he loves us so much, he doesn't want us to remain the way we were. He wants us to be cleaned up. He wants us to be, have dignity restored. He wants to move out the graveyard and into the throne room. He wants to bring uplift into our lives. 
This is the love of Jesus. Yes, there was a sacrifice, but the outcome is absolutely amazing. That dirtiness, that filth we experience and feel as, as we fail and fall is replaced and substituted with the beauty and purity of Jesus. He uses the illustration here of this washing with water. We've been thrilled over the summer to do quite a few outdoor baptisms. And uh, just where our guests are sat, that's our normal baptistry, so be careful being sat there. But yeah, you know, this picture, this imagery of going under the water and coming up again, that picture of being cleansed, very powerful symbol. And the idea of sacrifice continues as well. Verse 27, the Apostle Paul says, to present her, the church, to himself as a radiant church without stain, wrinkle, or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So yes, we've been made clean, but also we've been made presentable. Do you see that in this picture? Because sometimes people clean things up, but they don't show anybody. Have you ever seen that or experienced that? Maybe they've done a great work of art or restored some furniture. I remember when I was in the insurance business, I had to go and review the insurance risk of a particularly vintage Ferrari sports car. Unbelievably, the guy who'd done it up basically rebuilt the extension of his house and put the Ferrari in it, then built up the wall so nobody could ever take it. So this guy basically had a Ferrari in his living room. But you could never nick it unless you knocked the whole wall down. So the insurance risk was ridiculously small comparatively, but he'd done this wonderful restoration job. It was beautiful, bright, shining, Ferrari red. I had the privilege to see it, but who else was going to see it? It was clean, but not presentable. Do you see the perspective of Jesus here? He says you're clean and you're presentable. This beautiful image. This is the ultimate makeover, isn't it? Radiant, without stain, wrinkle, without blemish, holy and blameless. This is the work Jesus has done in us and through us. Again, just going back to Andy's message last week, he talked about this radical shift where we were once abandoned and alone, but then Jesus or God came by and made us adorned and adored. What a transformation because of the love of God. Just brilliant. So yeah, let's grasp that we're loved because of the sacrificial work of Jesus. But secondly, Let's grasp with love because of his ongoing, sustaining work in us and through us. We see this in uh, verse 28. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He loves his wife as himself. There's this picture of marriage again that's then applied to the church. So the question is, who keeps you going? Who sustains you in life? Is it a good friend? Is it a parent? Is it a child? Who, you know, you just somehow when you see them, you just think, wow, they just bring life to me. Well, the great news is Jesus brings life to us. Yes, he did that one-off sacrifice, but it's that ongoing daily nourishment he provides. A friend of mine called Mark, I remember meeting him, he was talking about his mum and dad's marriage. He was saying that um, his dad was proper old school, I guess, in some ways. He said, look, love, I told you on your wedding day I loved you. If out changes, I'll let you know. That was his ultimate expression of love towards his wife. You know, I told you on your wedding day I love you. If out changes, I'll let you know. That was classic. 
We don't get any of that from Jesus. On a daily basis, he's expressing and showing and telling us of his love for us. It's not just, oh, well, look back to that first Easter and that's it. And somehow hang on to that. No, it's a daily experience of his nourishment. This idea of looking after our bodies. A marriage thrives when both partners within the marriage look after each other. Daily sustenance, help, nourishment and support. Just as we would look after our own bodies as such. Jesus longs for his bride, the church, to function well. And this is why this concept continues in verses 29 and 30. Paul says, after all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. So yeah, Christ and the body, Christ and the bride now unified all together. And I just love the provision. It talks here about feeding and caring as a person would for their own body. But what God does is a holistic approach. He feeds us spiritually. He feeds us physically. He feeds us financially, environmentally, relationally, emotionally. He does the whole package for us. This daily nourishment. And it provides such stability. And this sense of belonging in verse 30. For we are members of his body. Christ the head in the heavens, the body, the church, here on earth. And God is feeding us and sustaining us and saying, I love you. I'm going to daily have input in your life. Get that sense of belonging and security. Let him build us up as a body. We can look to a variety of sources, can't we, to get built up. But are we looking to Jesus? I remember in my early 20s, I was under doctor's orders to build up my body. As you can see, I'm quite skinny, but even in my 20s, I think I was 10 stone wet through. And uh, I, my left lung collapsed on me. Uh, apparently, people who are tall and skinny are very susceptible to such things. Pneumothorax, I believe the term is. Um, medical people can correct me on that one, but a collapsed lung. And as part of my recovery, they said, you've got to go and put on weight. That's not a bad recovery process, is it? Most of us are trying to lose weight. I was told I must put on weight. I was under orders from the doctor to get built up in my physical body. And this is the picture Jesus has given us here. He wants to build us up. He wants to strengthen us by his daily nourishment as we connect with him. Why does God love us? How does we know God loves us? Daily nourishment and sustenance. Lastly, separation. What do you separate from to show your love for somebody? You know, perhaps we separate ourselves from work to spend some more time with our family. A wise man once said, it's not the quantity of time we spend with our family, it's the, sorry, it's not the quality of time we spend with our family, it's the quantity of our time. My boys are not particularly bothered, really, about quality time. They just want, Dad, quantity time. You know, sometimes we have to separate, we have to make choices, we have to leave something behind to focus on the people we love. Sometimes we have to cut back a little bit on the hobbies or the social aspects of our life just to zoom in on the people we love in particular. And this is what comes across in verses 31 and 32. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church the writer, the Apostle Paul says. He talks about this necessary process in order to really belong, really unite, there has to be some separation. 
When I married Kerry, I wasn't necessarily living at home, but there was a sense in which I had to leave the family home and focus on Kerry. She was now my new priority when I got married. She was now my focus, the center of my attention. Yes, still love, honor and obey mum and dad. That's why I do six hour train journeys to go and see my mum on her 90th birthday. But the priority is my wife and my marriage. A speaker friend of mine, he used to travel extensively around the world. He always used to deliberately, when he came back home, he'd have the kids running towards him, longing to be hugged by their dad. He deliberately made sure he hugged his wife first to give this picture of security, to give this picture of the priority of the relationship there, to give this atmosphere and environment of love and care. And as you think about Jesus, think about what he separated from to show his love for his church. He was in heaven. He was with God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. He was with the angels. No pain, no sickness. And he comes to here, earth. Place full of hurt and pain and sickness and death. This is what he gave up to show how much he loves you and me. How can we ever doubt the love of God? He gave everything that we might know this eternal, wonderful union with him. Paul says in verse 32, it's a profound mystery. Human marriage is a profound mystery, never mind the spiritual marriage. So much to get our heads around. But it is a beautiful picture that perhaps we need to wrestle with a little bit to unpack. I've just put down a couple of things here as we think about just what we see in everyday marriage and perhaps the profoundness of it, perhaps the mystery of it. First of all, this sense of a dress rehearsal for the heavenly marriage that is to come between Jesus and his bride, the church. If you're like your marriage, if you're married, it's a dress rehearsal for what is to come. This picture of Jesus and his bride coming together at the end of time, that confirmation, consummation. And then that sense of celebration of the differences, the exploration, the grace and the forgiveness. The consistent message of the Bible about a man and a woman being married. I remember we had wedding preparation classes, Kerry and I, and uh, we had to take a test on how compatible we were. I think we came out around about 80% or something like that, which apparently was quite good. But actually, I think with marriage and the mystery of marriage is not so much how comfortable it is or the compatibility of it is actually the difference. Male, female, the way we think, the way we act, the difference between two people, the exploration, the adventure you go on to, the levels of grace and forgiveness you've got to show because you're different. And isn't that a picture of what Jesus has done for us? His grace, his forgiveness, as he looks at us, yes, made in his image, but different. He says, I love you. It's a profound mystery. It's a covenant of love. So it's in finishing before we turn to communion. What's our response? What's God saying to you this morning? What's, is there any call to action from this? Is it just warm, fuzzy feelings or is there something more that Jesus might be saying? Verse 33 concludes, and maybe this might help in terms of next steps. Each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. We've grasped if Jesus is the groom and he loves us, what's our response as the bride then? Uses this word respect. And of course, as we think about Jesus, we might use the word revere. 
We might want to honor, delight, prefer, uplift. All these kind of things come to mind. It's a sense of wanting to connect and be with Jesus. Jesus did all this for you and for me. He doesn't want to keep us at arm's length. He wants us up close. You're as close to Jesus today as you want to be because he's done everything. He's done everything. It's up to you now. How close do you want to be? A number of years ago, Kerry and I went on a course, a sort of marriage refresher course together. And um, they used an expression on this course called married singleness. I'd never heard it before. I'm not sure if you've ever come it across. It's basically that people can be married and yet somehow they still live single lives. Yes, they may have the piece of paper that they're married and united, but actually the reality of their lives, they look quite single and separate. He does his thing, she does her thing. He does that, she does this. And they were really encouraging us on this course, find the unity, find the things that bring us together. Don't be married singles, be married married. <laughs> and I think this is what this verse is saying to us. As we think about Jesus, oh, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. See you in heaven. No. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me, and I want you involved in every aspect of my life, every single day. What is God saying to us today? To help us with this, we'll turn now to the symbols of the bread, wine, and juice. Let's just remind ourselves again of the sacrifice of Jesus. And of course, this is what the bread and the juice or wine symbolizes the body of Christ broken for me and you. That first Easter, as Jesus was crucified, as Jesus gave his life up and was broken for you and for me. These words in verses 25 to 27 remind us, Christ loved the church, gave himself up, the sacrifice, this brokenness. Why? To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. As we come to share these elements together, our hearts can break a little bit. We can have this sense of sadness because of that sacrifice. Jesus gave up heaven. Jesus, the innocent one. Jesus, who only seemed to do so much good, was killed like a criminal and hung out to dry on the cross, abused and violated. So there we see the sacrifice and our hearts should be heavy. But then our hearts should lighten because of what was achieved at the cross. We see it there, we've been made clean. We belong, we're presentable now as the radiant bride of Jesus Christ. So please, let's take the elements, let's pause, let's reflect, and then let's give thanks and celebrate and rejoice at the sacrificial love of Jesus. So Jesus took bread, he broke it, gave thanks, and said, this is my body, take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup, 
the symbol of wine, juice, the blood that was shed. Without the shedding of blood, there was no forgiveness of sins. There was no cleansing. But because Jesus shed his blood, we are now clean, presentable, and belong to take, drink, and rejoice and celebrate. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you. <laughs> thank you for your love. Thank you that it's been expressed in sacrifice, daily sustenance, and that sense of separating, how you gave up heaven because you loved us so much. You gave up the best place in the universe to come and be with dirty, broken, damaged people in a dirty, broken, damaged world. And then you're prepared to be violated and abused in order that we could belong in order that we could be cleaned up. Yes, Lord Jesus, we uplift you. We respect you. We revere you. We honor you. Help us to do it more and more this week as we grasp how loved we are. Help us to function in belief, in trust, and in security because we're so loved because of your covenantal love. Help us with this this week, we pray. For your sake. Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, check us out on social media at Bridge CC UK. Thanks for listening and have a great day.